The Surgeon General this past May issued a new advisory about a public health crisis. It's uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy is our Surgeon General, and he raised an alarm about what he called an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. He says it's affecting the health of individuals and of our society as a whole. And, and he pointed out that this was going on even before 2020. Uh, at that time, uh, half of all American adults identified a measurable degree of loneliness uh, in their lives. The COVID era just made it worse. According to data, loneliness increases the risk of heart disease by 29% and stroke by 32%. It makes older adults 50% more likely to experience dementia and increases the risk of of premature death overall, for all people, by over 60%. Now, besides such physical consequences to loneliness and isolation, he also asserted that the effects on mental health may be far more significant. We would have to agree with Dr. Murthy that uh, he has identified a genuine problem. It's not a new problem, though. Uh, This dates back all the way to the fall of man. Now, I think it may certainly be uh, worse now. It seems that Western society has a number of features that uh, that have brought this problem down to the level, the, the lowest levels of, of, of that, that we're experiencing now. It is, uh, mankind is experiencing new depths. But really the culprit here is our narrow focus on our own personal interests that limit our efforts to connect with other people. Ironically, even as the Surgeon General pointed out, even the prevalence in our day of social media has contributed to loneliness because it takes so little effort to participate in that way and at the same time convince ourselves that we're connecting with people when in reality we're doing no such thing. As believers, we have not been immune. The church offers relationships, uh, of course, and those relationships are available, but being in the same room with other people does not satisfy the overall need for loneliness. Just being here, just attending our service does not make the church the answer. It's easy to attend 
But it's also very easy to go for extended periods of time and have practically no contact with anybody in the church until the next time you're sitting in the same room with them. Even when we invite others to our home, it tends to be the same small circle and is not taking into account the opportunities for relationship throughout the entire church family. That's not just an opportunity, though. In the passage we're looking at this morning, we'll see that it's a responsibility. It's a responsibility that we have seen the book of Romans identify already. And it's all based on the gospel. The point of the book of Romans is that God has provided the gospel. That's chapters 1 through 11. But that that gospel, for those that accept the truth of Christ and accept him as Savior, places some, uh, some huge responsibilities on all of those recipients, all those beneficiaries. And one of the key elements that chapters 12 through 15 have been highlighting for us, drawing our attention to this over and over, started right in chapter 12 with a few different calls and in different contexts to love one another. It's very hard to love somebody that you don't even know. And our responsibility extends throughout the church family. Over and over throughout these chapters, then, the connection between the gospel and the, and the need for relationships with others who have also believed that same gospel has been one of the key themes of this book. So chapter 16, then, turns out to be quite a fitting conclusion to this letter. This is unprecedented, what Paul does in the, throughout this chapter. Nowhere else does he go into this detail of identifying particular people and, and extending greetings to them in this church that was so distant from where he was located at that moment. Why all these names? What Paul is showing here is the book of Romans in action. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Connections with people, relationships that matter, and they are extensive relations. And for Paul, these are, this is a church that he's never even visited yet. He apparently knows a lot of these people, has had contact with them, maybe some of them he knows about them, uh, from hearing from others, but for most of them, he seems to already have a relationship, and he takes this time to highlight how important those relationships are to him. As an example, they need to be important to you as well. The message in our passage today is that the gospel welcomes all kinds of people. Some of them you may have an affinity for. Some of them you may be naturally gravitating toward. 
but there are probably a lot of others that, humanly speaking, you could just as well pass by. But that's not an option that God gives. The implicit exhortation throughout this passage is that you must promote church unity. You have a responsibility for the sense of oneness that God intends for every church family. And he outlines in this passage two things that you need to do. Two aspects of your personal responsibility that can help achieve this sense of oneness and relationship with the others that have also trusted Christ. The first of those is in verses 1 through 16, and that occupied a lot of our time and our scripture reading this morning. These verses call to associate with those who support God's people. These are largely people that Paul has associated with in other locations. Now they've moved to Rome, apparently, and Paul is keeping up. Paul has uh, firsthand knowledge of, of these people, and he's demonstrating an appreciation for what he knows about these people. And that's the call then, verses 1 through 4, first of all, to appreciate the devotion of other people to the gospel. Other people are contributing to the work of Christ in various ways, and you need to know about that, and you need to appreciate it and even express your appreciation. There are two uh, uh, that Paul calls attention to here. The first one is apparently a single woman. Her name is Phoebe. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria. Now, Sancria is a long way from Rome, but it's very close to where Paul was when he was writing this letter. He's writing from Corinth. Sancria is just about eight miles toward the south or and the east, and it's a coastal town. It's a port city, uh, servicing Corinth, and she's from there, and there's a church there as well, uh, a church that we wouldn't even have known about except for this reference. And Paul says that she is, first of all, our sister. That is, there's a family relationship here. And you don't even know Phoebe, he's telling these people, because she's not part of your church. She's in a different category. She's in the category of those that know the Lord and come to us. We refer to them as guests when they first come. And we don't actually know much more about Phoebe's plans, but she is apparently moving from Sancria, at least temporarily, to Rome, and probably was the very person who carried this letter, showed up at the church in Rome, and said, here's a letter from Paul to you. And so Paul is commending her because they're just meeting her. What are we supposed to do with this guest? Paul says what to do. She's a, I I commend her to you. She is a servant of the church at Sancria. 
Now, many people misunderstand that word servant because it's actually from the same uh, root word that we get our word deacon. In fact, you'll notice that the, if you have an ESV that there is a footnote there that says an alternative translation here could be deaconess. What in the world is a deaconess? It's a category that uh, somebody has invented. It's not in the Bible. And others would say, oh, no, no, she's not a, a deaconess. She's actually a female deacon. Well, of course, there'd be a serious problem with that when one of the qualifications for a deacon is to be the husband of one wife. There is no female deacon. There is no office of deaconess anywhere in the Bible. Oh, what would they do? Well, churches that have the office come up with some things to do, but there's no biblical basis for it. The reality is this word is sometimes referring to an office, but the vast majority of its occurrences in the New Testament is just talking about somebody who sees a need and meets a need. They're a servant, a servant of the church in Sincrea. Here's somebody that's actively involved in the work of ministry. And what's your responsibility to such guests? Paul says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. That's, in Paul's estimation, that's a high degree of worthiness. One of the key reasons why we value the guests that God directs to us. We take it as our responsibility to do what Paul says, to welcome them. He goes on, he says, and to help her in whatever way she may need from you. Well, she's just arrived. She may need a place to stay. She may need uh, uh, to be invited to some homes for a meal. Uh, Whatever she needs, Paul says, you have a responsibility even though you don't even know her yet. Get to know her. You're going to find that she has served the Lord effectively. And furthermore, he says, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. A benefactor. Could well be Paul's indicating she was a woman of financial means. She may have been uh, in the process of moving to Rome on a business venture. We, We don't know. But that she has been a benefactor to many. She has abilities. She also has needs. The church has a role in her life. Welcome those who come. Verses 3 and 4, follow those who lead. Paul introduces two others, and they're already in the church of Rome and have some leadership responsibilities there. So he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. These are names that we know, some of the few names we know in all of the list here in this chapter, sometimes referred to as Priscilla and Aquila. Where were they fellow workers with Paul? Well, they were with Paul in Corinth. Paul was there for a year and a half. Paul made tents with them for a while there. Uh, They were with Paul in Ephesus as well. This is the couple that brought Apollos, a new convert, 
up to speed theologically by teaching him so that he could go on to lead the church. Furthermore, we find if we read into the beginning of verse 5 that they were offering their home as one of the meeting places, uh, an assembly point. There was a house church meeting in their home. Aquila may also have been the pastor of that church uh, because he clearly has uh, experience in leadership. So Paul says, they are my fellow workers in Christ, and here's something we didn't know, who risked their necks for my life. Paul's life was in danger at some point, and they made the difference. They saved Paul's life. We don't know when this was. Could have been in Ephesus at the riot in the big theater, and they were instrumental in pulling Paul out of that uh, environment. These are clearly people that have some stories to tell. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. These are leaders. These people know some things. Follow them. Paul is commending them to the people in Rome as well. Now, verses 5 through 16, we've already read through this. We're not going to go through it again. I spent a little bit of time this past week looking for some progression, some uh, indication of subparagraphs here, and after a little while, I gave up. There doesn't seem to be any pattern that Paul was following. They're just all kind of mixed in here, which I think is purposeful. Because different kinds of people are mixed in throughout the church family. But here are some characteristics that show up that Paul says, you need to appreciate this about the people around you. Appreciate their position in the gospel. This list includes people that by their names we can determine that they were Gentiles. There are others who have distinctively Jewish names. There are some indications of some slaves among them, and there are indications of some wealthy people. There are women identified here. We have a total of nine women identified. We have a total of 26 different individuals and six groups of people. Paul's going to great lengths here to say, and to encourage us by his example, appreciate the wide array of the people that God has given you the privilege of serving alongside. Some of these people, and here are some categories, some are part of a special house group or family and get identified that way. Some have had a special role in God's plan One, Paul says, uh, they knew the Lord before I did. I can just imagine some in the church at Rome reading that person's name and hearing what Paul says and looking over at that person and thinking, I didn't know that. I didn't know you had that pride. And you actually know the apostles back in Jerusalem? It's almost like, shame on me for never having asked, for never having spent enough time with you to let 
you tell me how God has used you in the past. He goes on through these other categories. Some have exerted some special effort. Paul says some of them have worked hard in the Lord and are distinct that way. Appreciate them. Some have an unspecified role, whether Paul doesn't know or he just finally said, ah, you know, enough's enough. I can only go on for so many verses here. I've got more I still want to say to finish out this book. But a long list of people that Paul identifies, and we don't know anything else about them. Perhaps as a reminder that there's lots more to know. There are a lot more people here and things about those people, and it's your responsibility to find out, to relate to them, to connect. Paul uses the word greet here, but by that word he means way more than say hello. This greeting is one of warm affection, of high esteem, of nothing less than love in Christ. What a responsibility. Someone took me by surprise one time. Uh, this, This family had been in our church for a number of years. This was many years ago. But the husband told me that they were leaving, and I I said, well, why? He said, well, uh, he said, my wife just has no friends. I said, she has no friends here? How can that be? Look at all the opportunities. And I said, well, what effort has she made to make friends? He says, well, just week after week, she sits there, and nobody comes over. She sits there and nobody comes over. Where's the personal responsibility? Sit there and wait? I don't see that in Romans 16. The command here is you go and greet. You take the initiative. You expend the effort here. In fact, I'm going to issue a challenge. When you come into the building, try to get here a little bit earlier. But whenever you get here, before you sit down, I'll go ahead and put your Bible, save a place. You don't want to lose that. But before you sit down, you look around and you walk over and meet somebody that you maybe don't know yet, or you don't know very well, or maybe you haven't talked in you don't know how long, and you're going to go over and greet and express some appreciation and inquire further about what's going on. This is a a particular challenge for those that sit in the same place every single week. And I'm not being judgmental here. Uh, We're kind of stuck in a rut ourselves. (laughs) But that's only an issue once you sit down. Before you do that, you've got lots of opportunity here. Take the responsibility. 
We have a men's breakfast coming up. It's this week, yes. Uh, This week, and uh, we're going to have somebody, like we always do, one of our men, and the ladies do this as well in their monthly meeting, uh, and they just get to tell about themselves, uh, their, their story, 20 minutes or so to do that. And you're going to find out, if you come to the men's breakfast, and it's not too late to sign up, you're going to find out some things about that individual, whoever it is, I don't know, I never ask ahead of time, somebody else selects this, and you're going to find out some things about that person that you never knew before. But there are those kinds of things true for everybody here. Greet those people. Connect. Establish relationships. The gospel demands it. Now, a warm welcome has one crucial exception. And it requires some careful scrutiny. Verses 17 to 20, I know the paragraph markings here make it look like Paul's gone on to something entirely different. What he's doing is now the other half of this issue. Besides associate with those who support God's people, verses 17 to 20 says separate from those who divide God's people. Now, it's Where Paul mentions this, here, right at the end, almost gives us the impression it's an afterthought. Why didn't he say this sooner if this is a real problem? Well, it doesn't seem like it's a problem yet. It's not that Paul has some people in mind in Rome and he knows they're up up for no good. If he knew of such, he'd have named them for us. He's shown us elsewhere in his writings. He's not shy about identifying who's doing the wrong thing around here. But they aren't here yet. This is a warning about future danger, potential future danger. But it's a danger for us as well. Separate from those who divide God's people. There are some that are uh, pushing in the wrong direction, away from relationships, away from connections, trying to isolate, trying to claim for themselves. And this can come from a variety of sources. But he says, refuse their evil influence. In verse 17, discern the trouble they cause. I appeal to you. This is an earnest exhortation. I appeal to you to watch out for those who cause divisions, who separate God's people from one another by whatever means, who cause divisions and create obstacles. Obstacles to what? This would be obstacles to the very thing Paul's been pressing. Obstacles to relationships. Obstacles to connections with others. And he points out that any pressure in that direction is contrary to the teaching of God's word. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, the same admonition would be pertinent for any deviation from God's word. 
Any deviation from the truth of Scripture is going to push God's people in the wrong direction. But it includes this crucial element of the gospel, the connections that come with trusting Christ as Savior. This dissension in the church, these obstacles, and the word obstacles is actually a little soft as a translation. Obstacles indicate, "Ah, okay, there's something in the way. I just need to kind of skirt around it, and then I'm okay. I can continue on the right path. But these obstacles are actually more malicious than that. These are uh, death traps. These are designed to ruin somebody, not just to make it harder to do the right thing. Uh, You get a little bit of a sense of this from the English word that comes from this word. It's our word, scandalize. These are scandals. For somebody to be disrupting the work of God like this, trying to divert someone from obeying God's word, these stumbling blocks to church unity and the growth that is available through connections with people, all of that is against God's word. Discern the trouble they cause. But you also have to discern the tactics that they use. This makes it very difficult to discern. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. That is, this is all based on the motive of self-service. Such people pressuring in the wrong direction are out for what they can get for themselves, for personal gain. There's their motive. What method do they, do they follow? We might think, well, this ought to be easy. I mean, there's, there's probably, if you look real hard, there's probably a couple of red horns sticking out of their heads and a, and a tail uh, coming behind. No, no, uh, Satan's work is far more subtle. He's going to look just like everybody else. The influence here in the wrong direction is going to be very difficult to discern. As he says, it's by smooth talk and flattery that they deceive the hearts of the naive. Their method is to conceal themselves, to look like everything's great. They're concealing their very efforts and what they're striving for. Uh, Everyone, who, who are the naive here? It's anyone who thinks right now, I don't think I need to worry about that. That is naive. Paul says this is something we all need to be concerned about. These are essentially false teachers, but don't expect it to be a false teacher, some, like a guest preacher. Uh, we're going to do our homework to make sure we don't have any such uh, in such a position of, of uh, influence. It's going to be more in, uh, individu- on an individual basis. And their deceptive words and deceptive mannerisms will be eloquent, attractive, 
and persuasive. You've got to be on guard here. One other note here for practical purposes. You need to scrutinize everything you read, everything you listen to, a podcast, uh, everything you watch. All of these are inputs that Satan can use to mislead you. And the, the real issue in this passage is to mislead you away from connections with the church family. Other priorities, they can look so important. This could also be friends or relatives who can function in this way, pressuring you to limit the time you spend developing relationships with other people in the church. Yes, friends and relatives, how subtle could that be? And they might not be out to ruin you, but Satan can use that influence to accomplish his purpose. In fact, verse 19, Paul goes on to say the positive side of this is that you have to uphold your godly influence. Accept this call to turn from evil. Accept the urgency of being on guard. Verse 19, he says, your obedience is known to all. You have this basic commitment to do what God's word says. And he says, everybody else knows about that. You've got a reputation, he's telling the people in Rome, you've got a reputation well-deserved of being committed to the truth of God's word and doing what God wants you to do. And Paul commends them for that. He says, so I rejoice over you. I think at Cornerstone we have a similar deserved reputation in our community. For those that actually know us would know that our list of our characteristics starts with we believe the Bible. And we are committed to obey the Bible. Do you realize that makes us a target of the enemy? If we were willing to compromise on the right hand and on the left, ah, yeah, that's not so, such an important doctrine. We're no threat to Satan's work. We are a target. So Paul says, the reason I'm urging you in this matter is I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That's biblical wisdom, discerning what to embrace and what to reject. And sometimes that's not a what, it's a who. Who to connect with, who to distance yourself from. We need wisdom for that. Paul says you need to be on guard. Accept the call to turn from evil This is sounding kind of ominous and dark. 
At the same time, verse 20 closes by saying, expect the Lord to win the victory here. This can be short-term and long-term. I'm not sure what Paul has in mind, but he says the, Lord, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That he says soon could be referring to the final victory when Christ comes back, which is soon in the sense of it can happen any time. Or Paul could have in mind a particular challenge of God's people, and God's going to win a victory, and we're going to rejoice in that. Uh, I mean, we could have experienced something like that already here this morning. Uh, I can just imagine Satan saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to have them choose this Sunday morning to close down the exit that leads from 85 to Cornerstone Baptist Church. Ha, 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 let's see what happens to them that, uh, with that circumstance. Think he knew we had a baptism scheduled for the beginning of our service? I think he was listening to our announcements. So maybe this is already an instance where Satan had a plan and God crushed him. And he was not able to, he was able to delay, but not able to cancel what needed to take place today. There's also a long-term victory coming our way when Christ comes back. So we are optimistic here. Yes, the challenge we face is great, but our God, the God of peace, is greater. And so the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Nothing short of that is going to uh, be necessary for our success. Success in both getting victory over Satan, success in resisting the influence of those that would say, ah, these church connection things, they're not that important. You're good. You're fine as you are. You've got more important things to do. The grace of God can give victory over all of that. Our Surgeon General, in his recent health advisory, offered his solution to loneliness. He proposed what he called a national strategy to advance social connection. And he said, we need six foundational pillars that will be a part of that. I'm not going to list what they are for you. But they range anywhere from, we need more parks and libraries. Uh, all the way to, we need to re-examine public policy and, and have more programs. And so, essentially, his answer is, the government is the answer. They just need to have more money to spend and uh, more laws to enact, and they'll take care of this loneliness thing. Well, of his, uh, his diagnosis is correct, but his remedy is sadly lacking. His six pillars left out the one that actually works. Jesus Christ. Trust Christ as Savior. And then obey Christ's call to be part of a church family. Not just to have your name on a roll, but to recognize you have a responsibility, 
a responsibility that can help promote the unity of God's church. A unity that requires you associating with people who are living for the Lord and separating from those who would divide God's people. Those are challenging admonitions. I would agree. But the grace of God is available for all who will ask for it. God, that's what I want. I want to fulfill my role. I want to do my part. Would you help me? Let's take a moment to say that individually to the Lord right now as we bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the practical aspects of the gospel. We thank you for anticipating our need for connections with people and for establishing the church to meet that need. Father, help us to biblically discern our responsibility. Help us to do our part. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.